What a beautiful morning worshiping, and good morning to you, and hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Yeah? Some of y'all still got leftover uh, sleepiness. You can't even answer this morning. You ate so much. Turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 8, and uh, we will get started for sure. Acts chapter 8. <laughs> You know, my assumption is that the vast majority of us are aware of uh, the American university system that categorizes classes 101, 102, 103, or 101, 201, 301, et cetera. And in that, we know that 101 indicates that the class you're taking is an introductory class that lays out for you, if you would, a foundation in that said subject, right? But it also has a second purpose. Hopefully, if it gives you this hunger, it lets you know, am I hungry to learn more in that subject? Or am I done? Nope, no more accounting for me. That was me after accounting 101, right? So this morning in our text, it is the perfect Personal Evangelism Class 101. And I'm delighted to the Lord and his kindness allowed me to teach it. And what it does is it lays out these basic facts and foundations for sharing Christ with another person. Matter of fact, I put the big idea on your notes. says, God evangelizes the world through obedient Christians who explain the gospel to a seeking soul. And my hope is this morning that as we go through this very practical how to share Christ with another person, it's going to give you hunger for you to work on it, to learn about it, to grow in this area that the vast majority of us are scared to death of. So if you typically don't take notes, I would say a little pop on the hand, but this morning notes are very crucial because it will just go right through how to share Christ with another person. It'll be a great review uh, for you uh, later in the week and even months ahead. So I want to encourage you this morning. Let's read this text together. Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him. And heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I understand unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this from Isaiah 53. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, 
about whom I ask you, does the prophet Isaiah say this? Does he say it about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scriptures, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And they both went down to the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he was baptized. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he passed through, he preached the gospel. As he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So a, a semi-popular, uh, uh, familiar passage here in Acts and so this morning, I want to sort of give an overview of the text and then some seven very practical how-tos in personal evangelism 101. So when we talk about Philip in the unit, this text gives us sort of the next step of the outward movement that we've seen the Spirit of God do in the book of Acts. We remember how Jesus told his church that the evangelism, people coming to Christ would begin in Jerusalem, then it would go to Judea, the surrounding areas around Jerusalem, and then it would spread to Samaria and then the entire world. Jesus gave us this message and he commanded us as people to tell it often and to tell it well. And we've been seeing that in the book of Acts because you and I are to be a missionary people with a missionary purpose, with a missionary message to a lost and dying world. That's big picture who Christ has called us to be. But we also know this, that Jesus promised persecution. And when Jesus promises something, it comes true. And what we've seen in the book of Acts is that it has gone, the gospel has gone from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria because of persecution, right? God's people have been persecuted, and we've been talking about how they have scattered. Just last week, as Monty preached, Philip shared the gospel, the masses of the gospel, uh, a lot of people meaning masses, uh, with the Sumerians. And this week, we see that next step where the gospel goes to the end of the world. Last week, our evangelist Philip was speaking, as I said, to the masses. This week, it is to an individual. And the message is the same, but the method is certainly different. Verse 26, we see this. We see the angel of the Lord tell Philip, rise and go to Gaza. In light of what's happening in our world, that that word Gaza popped off the page to me, right? Same Gaza. Gaza was one of the five ancient cities of the Philistines. If you remember your Bible, Philistines equals who? Goliath. So a historic enemy of the Jewish people. And he is told to go there in our text on a deserted road. And here's why. 
In about 93 BC, old Gaza was destroyed. New Gaza was built closer to the sea where it is today. And so Philip is told to go on the old road to the old Gaza. That's what gives us the clue. And here's what we know about old roads in biblical times. Remember the parable of the uh, Good Samaritan? When you're on an old road, it increases your chances to be robbed and hurt and killed uh, because that's where criminals hung out. And so that's sort of the context here. Ethiopia was interesting, as I did a little study, was much bigger. It was really much of northern Africa at that moment versus the smaller country that it is today. And uh, it was known as the end of the world. And in our text, certainly uses this word eunuch that we don't use much. It is what you think it is. It's a, it's a, I'll just let you look it up. I don't even know how to explain it. But it wasn't uncommon in the day for someone that was close to female royalty like he was. He was the CFO, chief financial officer of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. Her name was at Candace. Candace was more like a title, uh, like Pharaoh, but she was the queen. And often they would put a eunuch with female royalty just because they could trust them more, as you can imagine. And verse 27 tells us this eunuch had come to Jerusalem to worship. So even though he had traveled nearly a thousand miles to Jerusalem to worship as a Jewish proselyte, a a, a Gentile that had converted to Judaism, he had traveled a thousand miles, he could not go in the temple, he must stay in the outer court. And when I read it, I just thought, this eunuch, though, is not without hope. There's no one outside of hope in the gospel, no how no matter how far away. And this eunuch, this man from Ethiopia, came to Mount Zion, the physical Mount Zion as a second-class Jew. And he left as a full-fledged family member to spiritual Mount Zion. And we're going to see that this morning. One little other tidbit is we noticed here he had to, while he was at the synagogue, either buy or pick up or someone gave him the book or a scroll of the book of Isaiah, because that's exactly what Philip caught him doing. Said he was reading it out loud. And what I found out this week is that's the way everyone read. Probably drive us crazy now. Can you imagine 50 people in a coffee shop all reading out loud? Hey, blah, 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 you know, little auctioneer there. But everybody read out loud, very normal. And that's where this conversation begins. Here's how one writer laid it out. He said, can you imagine what went on in heaven when God's fresh new covenant of the gospel, formerly known as the church, finally stepped out and reached its first Gentile Something had to break loose up in heaven. So what can we learn from personal evangelism as we go through this text? The first thing I think we learn, it jumps off the page, is obey. The first thing that jumped off the page, it says, An angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go to Gaza, a desert place. Then verse 27, what did he do? Philip. He arose and he went, immediate 
obedience. But his obedience doesn't stop there. Look at verse 29. The Spirit said to Philip, go and join the eunuch in his chariot. And he did. Verse 30 says, so Philip went to him. No, it doesn't say went to him. It says what? Ran to him. <laughs> Don't you wish you get your kids to obey like that? Hey, go into the garbage. They start running through the house, grab the garbage, run out. Yes, ma'am, mama. That don't happen. But it happens here in our text. Immediate obedience to what God says. Now, they may be, I'm thinking of pushback from, from you, pushback from others. Well, Mr. Philip, he, remember, he was a deacon in the church. He was appointed by the apostles. How do you expect me to do what he did? He was special. He was unique. How can I be expected to obey God in evangelism when I'm just a regular old Sam or Susie? Well, I'll just ask this question. How long have you known Christ? The cumulative years. Think about in this church. Because Philip had only been a believer a year or two. Just a few years. Everybody had only been a believer just a few years. It wasn't like he had anything special or this long journey of maturity. What we know from the book of Acts is this. A person came to Christ. We've seen it from Acts 1 to Acts 8. We'll see it at the end of the book. And what did they do? The scripture says over and over in the first eight chapters, they went out preaching the what? gospel. It was, that was normal Christianity. Come to Christ, understand the message, turn around, share the message. It didn't stay long. It didn't get stuck. I think it gets stuck in us sometimes, and we'll look at why this morning. So we know obedience from the heart was expected, and it happened. But I want to contrast, if you would, Philip's response to the Lord's command with another famous uh, follower of Yahweh, Jonah. Remember Jonah, Jonah chapter one? And there is a Jonah in us all. Can you say amen? Thank you. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Foolishness to think you can flee the presence of the Lord. But there's no doubt that Jonah understood. He understood God said arise because Jonah did arose. But instead of going to Nineveh, he went 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. Well, you may say, Jeff, if an angel were to come to me, and then I would go like Philip went. And I'm like, no, Jesus has come to you. Jesus has come to me. He has told us with his own mouth to go. He has written it in his word. And yet you and I know as a believer, there has been people in your life, right, where the Lord nudges you. Just like the Spirit of God did him and says, you need to share the gospel with them. And what do we do? We go, 
Did I hear something? <laughs> right? We push it down. We said, I'll just live my life in front of them. And I'll just say to you, my life, your life, anybody's life is not pure enough to lead somebody to saving faith. I'm not saying it's not important. It is. But the gospel is a message that words must be used. We can often pray, Lord, would you bring so-and-so to Christ? And often the Lord says, I want to do that, but I want to do it through you. And if you don't do it, not only will you be, be disobedient, but you'll miss out. I'll get somebody to do it. But you'll miss out on the joy of joining God in his missionary work with his great message of the gospel. So I think this morning it is so helpful to ask and answer this question. Why is it? Why is it when it comes to personal evangelism, why is it that I don't obey like Philip did? Right? If you can't answer that question, then guess what? You'll never know the problem and you'll never be able to give or live out the solution. So let's think through three categories. I gave you three this morning. The first one I think is obvious. It is the fear of man. And what I want to say about the fear of man is you have it, I have it, every Christ follower, every human on the face of the earth has lived with at some point this sort of universal struggle where we fear what's in the horizontal instead of the vertical. We fear fleshly men instead of God more. The scriptures speak often of that. And the data tells us that is by far the number one reason people do not share their faith. Here's what I want to tell you this morning. That's a long journey to get over that hump. And you may never get over it fully for your life, but you can grow in such a way that the fear of man does not paralyze you because you have found your worth and your identity in the Lord Jesus. I exhort you and encourage you with all of my heart to get to work, to reach out, not only to God, but other people in great books to work on that issue. Because you have that issue. If your spouse ever says, if your spouse ever says to you something like, what issues do you have? You can certainly say that one because it is universal for us. So secondly, though, is the gospel is not good news to you. Now, what in the world do I mean by that? <laughs> now, it's good news to us often in the sense that it saves us. It's a personal, salvific. We know the message. We know how we got saved. So it's good in that sense, but it's not good to us in the sense of our daily life because what we're preaching to ourselves is not the gospel of no condemnation in Christ, Romans 8.1. We're going around preaching to ourselves condemnation. We have these thoughts that run through our minds nearly 24-7. I'm the only one struggling with sin. My badness is worse than anyone. I should be better than I am. Should, there it is, toxic shame. God is shocked by me at times. And then we walk around 
not only condemning ourselves, but condemning others who don't have it together. And I'll just say this, if the gospel is not good news in you, for you, why in the world would you open your mouth and tell someone else? No, if you're not experiencing the freedom of the gospel of a fellow sinner struggling to grow, three steps forward, two steps back, but the gospel is the momentum, it is the guts behind your chasing after Christ that he's been so kind to you in spite of you. If that's not what's driving it, the message doesn't come out of our mouths. R.C. Sproul put it this way, he says, when the Savior saves us, he has already factored in our stupidity in the future. Somebody say amen to that, right? The everlasting love of God means God saw all your pre-conversion sin, all your post-conversion sin, all your fights with your spouse, all your frustration towards your kids, all your anxiety, all your lack of prayer, and he goes on this long list, and he still loves you. That's the mercy we speak of to others. And when that grabs our heart in the midst of our sin, it is good news that I promise will come out of your mouth to another. The third reason I think we don't share faith and the third reason we don't grow, you can make this a big topic if you like, is one I'll call godly curiosity. Are you curious? Are you even curious? What is the gospel? How's the best way to share the gospel? How do I reach a Muslim? How do I reach somebody that's grown up in the church? I mean, there's a godly curiosity that I think the Spirit of God uh, brings in our hearts to make us hungry. What does it look like? How do I, how, you know, how do I do it? What do I say? When do I say it? And you can, you can put godly curiosity in any area of Christian growth. So crucial. I actually put some books on the back of your outline hoping that you will say, man, I, godly curiosity is to produce questions and hunger to grow in certain areas of Christian maturity. Godly curiosity. So we obey, but here are three reasons we don't obey. Very helpful. Secondly, God initiates, we participate. It's such a beautiful text this morning for us to see in this text the providence of God. And that simply means where God is already at work in the unseen of a man's heart, that God is doing the work of salvation, which salvation is 100% his work. We're not finding God <laughs> He's not lost. He's finding us, right? We're the ones that lost. The providence of God in this text is tilling the ground of a man's soul so that when the gospel seed hits, it explodes with the light of truth about Christ. We see God at work in verse 26. Now the Lord said to Philip, arise and go. We see the Lord... Verse 27 and 28, the unit was seated in his chair exactly where God told Philip to go. No coincidences with God. 
and just happened to be reading one of the greatest gospel passages in the Old Testament ever, Isaiah 53. Verse 29, the Spirit tells Philip to go join the eunuch. He's at work. Verse 30 through 33, the eunuch was wont to understand the text, and God sent someone who could teach him. How about that? Verse 40, after the eunuch comes to Christ, God once again initiates with Philip and sends him on to Caesarea. And we'll see Philip 10 years later, 20 years later in Acts chapter 21. I, personally, I don't think it's wise very often to use the words always and never. When my wife on a handful of occasions have used the word you never empty the garbage. I win that argument every time. Because I can say no on July 2nd, 1992, I actually <laughs> empty the garbage, right? But man, when I, I, I just think when it comes to the sovereignty and providence of God in personal evangelism, you have to always assume that if you're in a conversation for more than five minutes, it is a divine appointment, and you are assuming, I am assuming that God is at work. He has brought this person in my path to move them from, from this place, from the evangelism timeline, to coming to Christ a little bit closer. What role may I play? Someone say always. Always. That's what we assume, and that's what we see in this text. Divine appointments where we are attuned with God, praying and asking, Lord, what do you want me to say? Help me to say what you want me to say. Would you let them to say something that I can jump in and we can have a spiritual conversation? I am aware that you are at work and I'm assuming you're working in that person's life if you have them talking to me, which I'm a gospel man and you're a gospel man or woman. So God initiates, we participate. Then the next one, verse 30, I love this. It's so practical, ask good questions. Notice it says Philip ran to him. Talk about obedience again. While he heard him reading Isaiah 53, and Philip asked this question, do you understand what you are reading? Do you understand what you're reading? Now, if we're honest, I think a lot of times our response would be, we'll just walk by, we won't bother somebody, I don't want to bother them, um, I, I, it isn't nice, or someone's reading their Bible, so good job. But Philip asked a question, and I think we have to get in our heads, ask questions, because here's what questions do. It not only helps start the conversation of a present gospel presentation, but it actually can be a great springboard to later gospel uh, conversations. And, and here's why. One, you get to know how the other person views life. So crucial to know where they're coming from. Secondly, the person feels heard and engaged. And thirdly, very simple, we as people love talking about ourselves. So you're listening and they're having a great time talking and someone's asking great questions. Lord, give me an opening 
of what to say as I ask these questions. Here's what I did for you. Again, on the back of your sheet, I put a website there, crew.org, that you can go and it lists what they call, a good friend of mine actually wrote these, 99 Wonder Questions about life lessons, about the person's career, about eternity, about what they think is the good life, world events, good versus evil, marriage and love. 99 wonder questions where you get to know that person, how they think, and be able to decipher certain obstacles that may be in the way of them coming to Christ that you can help them get over. It is a great, great list of questions. And then I'll just say to you, every time I share the gospel that I can remember over 40 years, I've always asked at some point what I call the Kennedy questions. A guy named James Kennedy wrote them years ago. And they are this. If you were to die tonight and stood before God, how would you answer his question of why I should let you into heaven? Always ask that. And then you'll get... You're either going to get good works, right, or I don't know, or you're going to find out they're already a believer. Secondly, from zero to 100%, what percentage of a chance would you have to get to heaven if you did die tonight? And the answer is is either what, zero or what? And what you're going to get is 50-50. After last night, 10%, because of yesterday I was so good, 90%. So you get a chance to really speak into that. And lastly, and most importantly, I always ask the question, do you mind if I take about 20 minutes to explain to you or answer those two questions from the Bible to see what God, how God would answer those first two questions? 98.5% of the time, I get a yes, which means I have perfect permission to share the full gospel with them. And it makes the conversation so much easier and they feel respected. So ask great questions. Sola Scriptura, verse 30 through 35. Clearly in this text, and it was fun to see, there are two things happening around the scriptures. One is Philip again, must know the scriptures in order to explain them, right? Like, like the eunuch is saying, who is this in the text? Is, is Isaiah talking about himself or someone else? Philip knows he's talking about the Lord Jesus. So he has to explain it. And secondly, when Philip begins to share the gospel, unpacking Isaiah 53, you notice what it says. He opened his mouth beginning with the opinion of Philip, beginning, beginning with the big cultural topic of the day, beginning with some sin this eunuch is living in. No, he began with what? The scriptures, not his own opinions. And so I can't, like, there are a lot of motivations that the scriptures lay out for why you and I should study the scriptures and be men and women of the word. But one of the greatest motivations is so we can do what Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord, 
always being prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but to do this with gentleness and respect. You want some motive? Study the scriptures and be able to unpack them to others. Reality is the gospel, gospel not only saves us, it is also the power to save others. And although God could have written the gospel across, this, across the sky, he has not done that. He chooses to use his people to open their mouths to explain the gospel, period. Romans 10 lays out this beautifully. Paul writes, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You want to be beautiful? You want to have beautiful feet? You preach the good news. Are you willing to be God's mouthpiece to use scripture to explain who he is and what he's done? That's what the text is asking us. Next, there's a call for response in verse 35 through 38. I put this in here, don't have time to go deep in it, but I just want to ask the question, how many of you notice that verse 36 jumps to verse 38 without a 37? You notice that? Okay, somebody's like, what happened? Misprint. No, it's a misprint in every Bible. Or it could be bracketed, and sometimes it's bracketed with this insertion in it for verse 37. And verse 37 was a late addition. None of the early manuscripts have this verse in it. And the insertion says something like, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That that's a response from from the eunuch to Philip after Philip unpacked the scriptures to him. That phrase simply was added because what it does, it reflects, it reflects what the church, how the church would articulate salvation in the day, which is the same way we would articulate salvation. But the point is, Philip at some point called for a response. He gave the eunuch an opportunity to trust Christ after explaining Christ from the scriptures. We know that because he then gets to the water and the pattern, which we'll talk about next, was to get baptized after conversion. So I want you to know this. If you get a chance to go through the gospel with someone, always give them a chance to place their trust in Christ. Would you like to place your trust in Christ now? And typically, Eight out of 10 times when they say no, I will say, I will say this 100% of the time, tell me why, what's holding you back? And 80% of the time, what they say is something that they don't understand like, well, I just wanted, I want to come to Christ, but I want to wait till I get to a church. <laughs> I can explain that. Or they may say something like, God, I'm just, I want to get a little better first, or I want to stop doing this. I mean, there's, most of the time, it's something they don't understand, and once I explain it, they will then come to Christ. So always ask for a response. And then just a good reminder, conversion, then bapti baptism. 
Certainly the other letters in the New Testament give us the, the pattern for this. Someone comes to Christ, then they're baptized. That baptism is not a part of conversion. It is a response to conversion. And if you ever want to see what Paul thinks about it, he was very heated and upset and angry in Galatians 1 when the Judaizers tried to add something to the gospel. And so great reminder for us. And then lastly, we are his messengers to the ends of the earth. Ends of the earth. Man, what God commands, he will fulfill. Acts 8 says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In Acts chapters 1 through 8, we see the gospel spread, as I said, through persecution, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and now to Ethiopia, known at that time as the ends of the earth. Matter of fact, Eusebius, the church historian, said this man, this eunuch, this Ethiopian became the founder of the church of Jesus Christ in Africa. We know that the book of Revelations tells us that every ethnic group will be reached. And there's been a lie peddled by the devil of hell for years that Christianity is a white man's religion. The Ethiopian is black. Matter of fact, Ethiopians were so closely connected to blackness in that day that it became proverbial. It was that normal. And here we see the gospel going to Africa through a black Ethiopian, exactly like Jesus said he would do. As we close this morning, I want to wrap up with this little story, a lady I met in Maine. We're walking down the streets of Portland, Maine, come to a little table. She's selling some goods. She has a little rock bowl that she made, beautiful. I said, did you make these? She said, yes. And we started talking. You know, I can talk to a lot of people, right? And then I said, I felt that nudge from the Lord. I said, where'd you find these rocks? She said, I just walk on the beach and find them. I said, isn't it amazing that God is so creative and powerful? He makes his beautiful little rocks and you turn them into a bowl. I said, do you believe in God? She said, oh yeah. She started tearing up and said, but life has been so hard, I'm not sure anymore. Seems like there's no good people left. And I said, you're right. You're right. There's no good people. There was one and we crucified him. And it gave me an insert to talk to her about the beautifulness of Christ and how God uses our suffering to draw us to himself. Tears ran down her cheeks, teared up in her eyes. And she said, thank you so much. Now look, I didn't get to go all the way with her, right? But I know, I assume the Lord is at work there. And I was just a little cog in the wheel. Take a minute to ask yourself a question this morning. Where should you, where should you start to grow in your personal evangelism 101?
Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for bringing a Philip into all of our lives at some point, somewhere along the way, maybe a bunch of them. Thank you for showing us the truth about Christ. Lord, uh, today uh, we're thankful that we get to cooperate with you. We get to be a Philip for somebody else. So Lord, would you show us? Would you uh, give us courage, boldness? Would you give us open doors as Paul prayed? And then Lord, would you help us to walk through and uh, into conversation, into relationship with those people that are around us who have yet to trust in you? Thank you so much, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.